here. Do me a favor, whether you turn it on or whether you take it out, look in your Bible to Matthew chapter 5. In just a few moments, that's where we're going to read from the words of Jesus. Matthew chapter 5. Last Sunday, we started this series that we've called the Sermon on the Mount. Creative, huh? It's the title given in Scripture to the greatest message ever preached by the greatest preacher who's ever communicated. His name is Jesus. Last week, we began to look at the beginning of that. It's called the Beatitudes. Now, it's important that you understand where this is in the life of Jesus. He was born, but he then grew up. So now he's been baptized. And did you know that? Jesus modeled baptism. It's one of the reasons we practice that as a church. We're following in the footsteps, not just in the obedience of Jesus. He was baptized. He's been tempted. And maybe you didn't know that. The Bible says Jesus was tempted in every way that we were. And yet he did not sin. He's called his disciples. So those names that we begin to hear, the, the closest followers, he's already enlisted them to come after him. And now this is almost like his public debut. He, he's preaching this message. And he begins with what we call the Beatitudes. Every one of these begins with the word blessed or blessed. Now, that in and of itself needs a little bit of an explanation because that's kind of a churchy word. You don't hear that a lot unless you hang out in church or if you grew up in the South. Because if you grew up in the South, sometimes someone would just look at you and shake your head and go, bless your heart. But we do hear that in church. We hear blessed or have a blessed day. What does it mean? Some have said it simply means happy. And so they look at these eight things and they say this is a pathway to happiness. This is how you can be happy in life. As you'll see in a minute, that doesn't quite make sense because it doesn't even sound very happy, these things. So I, I begin to tell you, I think there's more to that meaning. It, it speaks of fulfillment. It speaks of flourishing. It, it, it speaks of having the life-giving power of God. So we look at this as the life path for disciples of Jesus, because that's who he was speaking to. He gathered his disciples. Maybe as many as a few thousand other people listened in, but Jesus was gathered with his disciples, and he was telling them how to live as a disciple of Jesus, how to live the Christ life. So remember those eight things? Let me just go through those because I think it sets the tone for even the passage we're going to read today. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Now, you see how it's kind of weird? It's different? You don't think about being poor in anything as being a blessing in your life. Yeah, that's what Jesus said. Blessed are those who mourn. Really? I know what it's like to mourn, to walk through grief, to have hard times. That's the blessed life? Blessed are the meek. In other words, we don't really even use, but, but what does that mean? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. And then he caps it all off by saying, blessed are those who are persecuted. That does not sound fun nor happy. And yet we said it kind of illustrates how you live the Christ life. If you are a follower of Jesus, if you are a disciple, there was a moment in your life where things changed. So that's the first news flash for you today. Nobody's ever always a Christian. I meet people sometime and, hey, when did you begin this relationship with Christ? Well, I've always been a Christian. No, you haven't. Doesn't work that way. 
There was a, a, a moment in time where, where you were born into the family of God. And the Bible calls that being saved or it calls it being justified. There's a moment where it was just as if you've never sinned and just as if you've always obeyed. And Jesus described that moment in those first three Beatitudes. It's, it's recognizing that you're poor in spirit. It's being broken before God. It's mourning over sin, realizing, wow, it's not just that I did something bad and I'm in trouble. I hate that I've offended the holiness of God. It's being meek where, where in humanity you cry out to God and you surrender to his control. That's what it means to be justified. But the Bible also speaks of salvation as being sanctified. That's the process those of us who are followers of Jesus are in right now. We're, we're on the journey. I spent about an hour talking with someone this week that, that I'm going to be doing business with. And they're, they're helping me with one of my automobiles. And we just began to talk about the Christ life. And he said, man, I'm still under construction. And I said, you? If there was one sign I wore around my neck, it would be under construction. God's not finished with me yet. I'm being sanctified. And so Jesus illustrated that by saying you're beginning to hunger and thirst out of the things, after the things of righteousness. I'm not there yet, but I'm, I'm hungering and thirsting after those things. And so I begin to be merciful to other people. Or I begin to be pure in heart. God, God changes me from that heart of stone to that, to that heart that is like his I heard the testimony of someone sharing that this week about their son, how, how they never thought their, their son could be on fire for God, and yet their life was changed. They were bitter toward the things of God and making all kind of rat, wrong choices, but then they followed Jesus, and, and he just changed their heart, and now they were in ministry becoming a pastor. That's a change that takes place in that sanctification process, and, and then you even, you, you, you get to that point where it's not just you're, you're pure in heart, but you begin to be a peacemaker. You begin to look at others around you, and you begin to see how you might share with them the love of God, all of that sanctification. But, but, but the Bible also says that one day we will be glorified. There's glorification where we see Jesus face to face. Now, this is primarily a gathering of the saints, so that's something more than one of you should be satisfied. Aren't you excited about seeing Jesus face to face? Aren't you excited about the hope? of heaven, of being glorified. And yet Jesus even, he, he talks about that in kind of a weird way. He says, blessed are those who are persecuted because you're going to see Jesus. <laughs> you see, this is a different way. You know, if you or I would have kind of designed the Christian faith, we probably would have said, hey, if you just do these few things, your life's going to be okay. We're American. We would say you'd be healthy, wealthy, and wise. We would probably say you'd have the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. But Jesus didn't do that. His way was different, counter to the culture. And that's what he was showing the disciples about their journey. It's going to be different. Happiness or fulfillment or blessing in life is not based on what you have or what you do, but who you are in Christ. And when I hear that, it reminds me of something I heard in the TV show, The Chosen. Let me see your hands if you've watched any of The Chosen. It's kind of interesting. It's a TV show that was crowdsource funded. In other words, it, it didn't come out of Hollywood. Some, some people made this because people like you helped fund The Chosen. But it's a, a TV series now in the third season about the life of Jesus and his followers. 
And there's a scene where he's calling Matthew. And Matthew would write these words that we're reading in the Sermon on the Mount. Watch this scene. It's kind of interesting. What are you doing? You want me to join you? Keep moving, street preacher. Do you have any idea what this guy has done? Do you even know him? Yes. Listen, I said to... What are you doing? Where do you think you're going? Guys, let me go. Have you lost your mind? You have money. Quintus protects you. No Jew lives as good as you. You're gonna throw it all away. Yes. when I chose you either. But this is different. I'm not a tax collector. Get used to different. Don't you love that? Simon, who would be called Peter. You know, he's looking at what Jesus is doing, and Jesus is calling Matthew, this tax collector. He's not one of us. I mean, what are you doing, Jesus? This is different. And Jesus, with the ultimate mic drop, says, get used to different. I mean, I think that's what I want to start saying when people begin a relationship with God. Man, get used to different. And I think that's kind of what Jesus was saying all throughout this whole sermon. Get used to different. The Christ life is different. He's challenging everything you've ever heard. And to everybody he ever met, he called them to be different. The Jesus way is a call to be different. Everywhere we go. Every day. Sometimes I give you a sermon and a sentence. That's it today. Just hold on to that. The Jesus way is a call to be different everywhere we go, every day. So we have to get used to different. All right? Say, get used to different. Let's look at these few verses. Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 13. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under the foot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Will you pray with me one more time? Father, with my hands lifted high, I just say we want to give you glory. We want you to be praised. Holy Spirit, with my palms before you, I pray, would you meet me in this time of need? Would you fill me so with your presence 
what scripture calls an anointing, what the old preachers called an unction, would you give me your words and even your thoughts? With my arms stretched out, Jesus, I just declare I surrender. And I speak, I think, for many of us here when I would say, give us in this time what we need, yet we do not have. Teach us what we desperately need to learn from you and make us different for your glory. And Jesus, you came to die so that we might live and be different. So I would ask if there's a person here who does not yet know you, that this would be the day of their salvation. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. It's as if Jesus is responding to the eight directives he's just given us. These blessings, these beatitudes. And he's saying, if you're going to take this journey, I I want you to up understand up front what the expectations are. Now, I want you to understand that today, but I don't want you to be confused whatsoever. In this church, as we look at the scriptures, we believe we're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, for the glory of the Father alone. That's how we sum up our salvation experience. Grace alone, by faith alone, in Christ alone, for the glory of the Father alone. And that's what this is about. However, when we receive God's grace, we believe that Scripture teaches, and here we see that Jesus said that His grace in us begins to be demonstrated in and through our life. It's evident. It's not about how we become a Christian, but it's how we behave as a Christian. So that's the constant tension that we deal with in our discussions here. Because we recognize that this is kind of weird. God, who is our judge, has already declared a verdict. He looks at our life, and it should say guilty, but instead, he says free. He says clean. He's covered us with his love and his righteousness. He declares a verdict before he ever sees our evidence. We're not not guilty because of what we do. We're not guilty because of who he is and what that means and how we are found in him. Jesus is referencing in this passage then what we could call nominal Christianity. Do you know what nominal Christianity is? Let me explain that clearly. It does not mean kind of a little bit of Christianity because there's no such thing as that, right? That's kind of like you can't be a little bit pregnant. You can't have a little bit of Christianity. No, nominal Christianity means you've got Christianity in name only. So this week, Pastor Eliel and I I met with a missions leader from an organization that that ministers in Pakistan. And and he was telling us that it's going to be not many years that Pakistan is will be the leading Muslim country in the world. It it will become the, the country with the most Muslims in the world. And yet there are Christians in Pakistan, and some become Christian just because of their family heritage. And the state, the government, recognizes that. Your ID card might say you're Muslim, but it might say you're Christian. The first time I encountered that was when I visited Jordan. And in Jordan, I discovered that the driver's license there, it has your family religion on there. 
So if you were born into a Muslim family, it says Muslim. If you're born into a Christian family, it says Christian. And if you're born into a Jewish family, it says Jewish. And that's very hard to change, regardless of your personal decision. It has nothing to do with your personal decision. It has to do with your name. So that's Christian in name only. But Jesus in this message is going to say there's certain, such a thing as a Christian in name only. Because at the very end of the message, when he gives us the punch, kind of the end of the message in chapter 7, he says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will, does the will of my Father in heaven. Far many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord. Did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name, did we not drive out demons? And in your name, did we not perform miracles? And I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. You might have done something in my name, but it was in name only. So depart from me, away from me, evildoers. So that gives you some of the context. That's what Jesus is saying here when he talks about salt that is useless and light that is hidden. Let's spend a minute more here. Let's go back to verse 13. You are the salt of the earth. So I want you to see something. That's a declaration, not an invitation. The Sermon on the Mount is not Jesus begging his followers to act a certain way. It's Jesus telling them who they are and in light of who they are, this is what they need to remember. We've raised four boys. We're raising a, a girl now. When all of our children would leave their house, if, if they were going to spend the night with a friend or if they were going on a trip, what, what's one of the things I would tell them? I would always tell them, remember who you are. And I would tell them, you're two things when they, when they all came to this place in life. Number one, you're a follower of Jesus Christ. Everywhere you go, you represent him. And number two, <laughs> you're a purvis. And everywhere you go, you represent me. Don't you ever forget that. That's what Jesus was saying. Hey, remember who you are. Your identity precedes your activity. You are salt. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? That's almost like a tongue twister. If the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown under and trampled underfoot. Did you ever hear about the young cross-country runner that was running his course? And Man, I, I ran track and cross-country. It's hard to believe. I don't know if I could run to the back of the room today without being winded. I ran cross-country, and, and often we would go man, through the woods there in South Carolina, all over the state. And This guy was, was running. I think he was about 14 years old. A deer came out of the woods, hit him. He began to pet the deer, not knowing what to do. And as he began to pet the deer, the deer took his two front legs, put him on the young boy's shoulder, and then began to lick his neck. Yeah, it's kind of... Huh. And so when they were talking about this afterwards and trying to figure out what was going on, they discovered that this deer was low in salt. And so he was treating his neck like a human salt lick. Yeah, have you heard what a salt lick is? I mean, sometimes out in the woods there are salt licks to help these animals who need this. What was he saying? This deer needed salt. Could it be that part of what Jesus was saying is, hey, our world needs salt, and you 
You, Christ follower, you disciple, you are the salt of the world. And when you don't do what you're supposed to do, the world doesn't get what it needs. And you're not serving this purpose. Man, I've heard this passage taught, and there's so many applications, and they're okay. You can make these applications. Salt preserves. When I was growing up, my dad sometimes would leave the house early in the morning, and he'd come back with a, with a bag from Hardee's. And you know what I'd love when he'd come back from a bag from Hardee's? Because he'd bring some country ham biscuits. Raise your hand if you ever had country ham. Oh, some of you are missing out. It's so good and salt. Not long ago, I drove 20 minutes to the closest Hardee's over there in Sefner just to get me a country ham biscuit in the morning. Country ham, if you looked at it after it's prepared, you'd think, this is disgusting. Because the salt has been placed around it for the purpose of preserving it. And so it sits, and it has all kind of colors by the end. And you think, man, this thing is moldy and not fit for anything. But up under that preservation is some good stuff. So, yeah, I mean, salt preserves. And, and there's a, a sense to where we as a church preserve the things of God in this world. Uh, but salt adds flavor, right? Seasoning. Sometimes we'll stop and we'll get some chips or some popcorn. And I, I don't care whether it's the oldest or the youngest woman around me, whether it's my mama or my daughter, they might say, this needs some more salt. Because <laughs> we know that salt adds flavor. Salt can be used even as, uh, for a health purpose. There's all kinds of reasons that salt is used. But the, this we know, salt is different from that which it impacts. And that's what Jesus was saying. God wants you to impact this world for his glory. And it's hard to do that when you're no different from the world. Y'all all right? That's something we need to hear. You, you can't have the impact that God wants you to have when you're no different. We live in a world where everybody wants influence. In fact, you can be a, a young teenager and, and make money as an influencer on social media. Everybody wants influence. And influence may bring some success, but impact is what gives significance. God wants you to impact this world. Charles Spurgeon said long ago, one reason the church of God has so little influence over the world is because the world has so much influence over the church. So we've got to figure this out. And, and Christians have messed up on this for a lot of years. And some kind of go, go all the way over to this extreme. And they almost become like a monk living in a monastery and just withdraw from the world. And that's not the answer. Jesus said, you're in the world. You're just not of the world. Some go to the other extreme and say, I've got to do everything the world does so that maybe they'll like me. And, and I can connect with them. And that's not the path. You know, Jesus is saying, you're the salt but the danger is some of you have become useless. You're salt in name only. You see, Jesus knew his listeners would understand the value of salt. So really, Jesus was saying, when he said, you are the salt, he was saying, you are valuable. In May of next year, when we go to Israel, we will go to the Dead Sea. It's a beautiful place. And it's kind of amazing. You, you have an opportunity. You can, you can get in the sea, and you can't not float. I mean, it's so salty. You just float. 
In fact, I, I thought about, I've got a couple different pictures, one with two different sons where, where me and the sun are, are covered in mud, standing there in our bathing suits, smiling. All you can see is us covered in mud, but I thought, you don't want to see that on a Sunday morning. <laughs> you visit the Dead Sea and you notice something. They're in the Holy Land. Time you get out of the Dead Sea, all around you are all kind of shops. Why? Because salt is valuable. So people will uh, line up to buy little mud packs <laughs> that's full of the salt from the Dead Sea because that mud helps your skin. All kind of spa treatments from the salt. You, you might even get uh, different seasonings from Dead Sea salt because there's nowhere else like it. It's the lowest point on the earth in that salt or Dead Sea. But I told you even in Jesus' day it was valuable. So Roman soldiers would get paid with what? Salt. Because salt was valuable. And so supposedly it was a Roman soldier who first said to another Roman soldier, you're not worth your salt. You ever heard that phrase? Not worth your salt. Jesus was saying there's great value in, in you as the salt of this world. So don't lose your value. How did the salt lose its value? Well, one way would be because it got exposed to impurities. And some of you, you're followers of Christ. You go back to that moment where you began that relationship with him. You do not doubt that. But you've let sin come into your life, and you have impurity in your life, and it's decreasing your value as the salt of this world. And then he begins to talk about light. So let's look at that. Verse 14. You are the light of the world. You are the light. Identity always precedes activity. So we do what we do because of who we are, different from the world. So then he says, a town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. Now, this is the verse that we turned to in 2017 when, when we became Mission Hill Church, not First Baptist Church of Temple Terrace. And we began to have a couple of other campuses and do ministry in some different ways. And we turned to this verse and we begin to say, at Mission Hill, we do whatever it takes, wherever we are, to show Shine with the light and love of Jesus like a city on a hill. That's our biblical mandate. So really, that's been the mission of the church ever since Jesus gave these words. But people have taken bits and pieces of that. So like even pilgrims, when they came to America, they began to look at this and say, oh, it's like a city on a hill. And then politicians, even in my lifetime, man, they have, they've enjoyed using that and say, we need to get back to being the city on a hill. And we all know there's some things we could do differently in this country, and I, I sure do wish we would get back to some of the things of God, but this was never about America. This is about you, Christ follower. This is about a disciple understanding that the call of Christ on your life is to be different, to shine. Somebody said this passage from Jesus could be the shake and shine passage. Because like a salt shaker, we need to be shaken up. And like a light, we need to shine. So do we? Individually? Do you shine? Corporately? Do we shine? Wherever we are every day? 
Have you ever seen the pictures that you can look at online from our satellites of the earth at night? You see, all the places in the world where light is beaming forth. And, and you know what's interesting? This is a good way to look at the world because you see those undeveloped or underdeveloped areas where there's no night light. We call that the third world in many cases. But I want you to look at the U.S. because that's where we live. Look at the U.S. Interesting, isn't it? Just different parts of, of our country. Even where we are, kind of lit up. A lot of people here. Further you go west, you see more of the darkness. Some of you are thinking, man, I need to move out there. I need too many people around here. I want you to think about this map differently. What, what if this map was all about the gospel light? What if we could do a map that, that radiated with light where you're beaming as a Christ follower? Or where the churches that we're making a difference are? Would there be light beaming from your house? At your workplace, when you show up, when you get there, would it be like, man, the light grew? In your classroom... Over on the campus, would it be as if, man, there is a different light because I am here? How about us as a church? Does our community see us as that light? I think we, we got an okay reputation. I got an email yesterday from my friend Ken Albano just thanking me for what we do and asking us to help in another way in our community. So, so we do some of that, but could we do better? Absolutely. Could our light be brighter? Yes, it could. Are we doing everything, whatever it takes, wherever we are? I'm not sure we are. Like salt, light has many benefits. Warmth, sight, protection, Darkness can be concerning, can be intimidating, can even be frightening. But I've got some good news. Light always extinguishes the dark. Do you know that? A couple of weeks ago, I got home and, and the transformer right outside our house had been hit, struck by lightning. We had no power. There were four houses with no power. Everybody else, everybody else had lights and their refrigerators worked. And like you talking about looking all across the street and thinking, I wish I was like them. So what, what do we do? I, I, I go up in the closet and I get one of our flashlights out. But we don't use those regularly. Because you know what happens? You didn't have any light. When it's dark, you, you want light. But if you're going to have light, you, you need a source. What did Jesus say? He says, you are the light of the world. Where's our light coming from? We lived down in southwest Florida when Charlie came through. And man, it was like a bomb had gone off down there. And when night would come, I was driving around because we were helping folks. And man, it was pitch black dark until... You would see like light beaming from a place. You would kind of go drive toward the light. You'd realize if you had your windows down because you're trying to stay cool in the midst of all that humidity, and you'd hear, 
closer you got to the light, the louder that got, and you begin to realize they had something. You know what they had? They had generators. <laughs> yeah, we live in Florida, we know. And so they had power that not everybody had. And they had lights that most people didn't because they were connected to the source. Are you following along? Um, last night, well, number one, I sleep with the TV on. Don't write me an email. That's not healthy. I shouldn't do that. But I do. So last night, I woke up 2 in the morning. And to my shock, there was still a football game being played live in Colorado. And to my disappointment, my eyes opened and kind of tuned into the football game. And so I was awake. It was miserable. But if I'd have gone outside and looked up in the sky, I would have seen our moon. And the moon is often, if it's not cloudy, it's bright with light. But you know what's interesting about the moon? It doesn't originate light. The moon just reflects the light. What does it reflect? The sun. You know what's really cool? Jesus was telling us that just like our moon here on this planet, as his followers, we reflect light. We reflect the light of the sun, Jesus Christ. Because Jesus told us in John 8 and verse 12, when Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Now, how is our light dimmed? Well, much like the salt is made less impactful because of impurity, our light is dimmed by sin. And so church, some of us have the light, but we're not shining as we should. I want to remind you of the words of John in 1 John 1 verse 6. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie. We don't live in the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us of all our sin. How do we make sure our light doesn't stay dim? We confess our sins to Jesus. First John goes on to say, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Aren't you thankful for God's gift of confession and forgiveness? Isn't that a good thing? Man, we celebrate that as followers of Jesus. So Jesus says, you are salt. You are light. In other words, when you follow me, you're different. So be different and be a difference maker. Remember the sermon in the sentence? Let me give it to you again. The Jesus way is a call to be different everywhere we go, every day. But in this passage, Jesus deals with something that I've struggled with all my life. See, I've hung out with people like us as long as I can remember. And a lot of us are educated beyond our obedience. We know what to do. We just don't do it. Maybe it's because we don't know how to do it. So Jesus makes it practical. Look at the last verse I read again. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. 
Why do we want to make sure our light shines? This is a test. Look on the screen and see how Jesus says we do this. We let our sight, our light shine before men so that they may see our good works. Why? So that we bring glory to the Father. Everything you do should bring glory to the Father. That's your, if you're a Christ follower, that's your purpose in life. Whether you eat, drink, sleep, whatever you do, to bring glory to God. So I want to challenge you to find your specific why, your specific purpose. I've done this over the last few years. So I can say pretty readily, I glorify the Father by leveraging my personal brokenness to inspire a deep belief in the God of the second chance. I think that's why I'm still here. I think that's why I exist. I glorify the Father by leveraging my personal brokenness to inspire a deep belief in the God of the second chance. What's your purpose? Why are you still here, Christ follower? I want to give you, before we leave, three specific ways I think you can let your light shine so that people can see your good works so that the Father is glorified. And I want to do that along with that phrase, get used to different. Here's the first one. Get used to different by meeting needs in Jesus' name every day. Get used to different by meeting needs in Jesus' name every day. All around you are people in need. And God's given you an ability to do that, to help meet needs. Now, you can do that through our church. Every Thursday night, we have a meal at our Mission Hill Ministry Center. This Thursday night, they had about as many as they've ever had. Uh, about 80 folks came onto the campus that need a hot meal, and they got a hot meal. They hear a gospel presentation from God's Word. They then go to our clothing pantry, and they go to our food pantry. Some weeks, they can get a haircut. It's just ministry, giving a cup of cold water in the name of Jesus. And by the way, every Thursday night, we also do that on the streets. And every Thursday night, we give about 200 people who consider themselves homeless these meals on the street, also in the name of Jesus. This is meeting needs. But you don't have to do that. We could use your help, but you don't have to do that. You could be like my friends Ron and Pam Bradford. You know what they do, among other things? But let me just give you one example of what they do. My dear kind of second mama, Miss Shirley, who I've known since the first day I was here, she's at the place now where she can't really drive herself to church, but she doesn't miss a Sunday. You know what Ron and Pam Bradford do? They make sure she's got a way to church. They're just meeting a need in a practical way. But you, you don't have to do something at the church. You realize we... We drive by people all the time that some of them have signs, some of them don't, that seem to express that they have needs that need to be met. Whether you have money or not, you might could create some care bags. So I don't know if they really need that. Maybe they're scamming me. Well, could be, or you could be entertaining an angel unaware. Jesus said, when you did it to the least of these, you did it unto me. Do you have anything in your car you can give them in those moments of needs? Just meeting needs. Get used to difference by meeting needs in Jesus' name every day. Second, get used to difference by healing hurts in Jesus' name every day. Think of my friends Robert and Sylvia Glass, who for years have offered something called grief share. I was leaving the office late one, one night this week, you know, after 6 o'clock, and I, I see... Robert and Sylvia pulling up, and they're getting their bag of stuff out of their car, and they're, they're going to meet in the chapel with whoever comes to this session of grief share. Just helping people walk through the pain of grief in a biblical way by helping them heal their hurts. 
But there are general ways. You, you could come to our house of prayer. Did you know every week at house of prayer we pray for the needs that are, are put on the cards that you're writing? So some of you were here last week and you gave us prayer requests. And some of those are big needs or hurts in your life. I, I read some of those out loud on, at our house of prayer. But even the ones we didn't read out loud, somebody prayed for those. Just healing hurts in Jesus' name. But you, you don't have to do that at church, right? You can do that right where you are. Think they're hurting people around you? Number three, get used to different by speaking truth in Jesus' name every day. You see, somehow, some of us have gotten the impression that it's okay to just represent Jesus and we don't have to tell anybody. And in the way it works, because you may be the only Jesus that some people ever see, you may be the only Bible that some people ever read. And if you don't get those words out of your mouth, they may never know. So we give you opportunities through the church to witness, but this is a big one where I want you to understand. You got to do that where you live, work, and play. Right? Jesus wasn't saying this to a group of people who would then go meet in a building like this. It didn't exist. The church hasn't even been born yet. He was just saying this to his followers. And somewhere because of buildings like this, we've gotten it all wrong. And folks like us haven't learned that it's not folks like me, the paid guys, the preachers, that it's all on. But it's us, we as followers of Christ, where we are. We're to be the difference makers. That's why as a, 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 a staff, our, our church has kind of been coming together and we're saying, hey, we recognize that we're all broken people. But when we come together, we, we make a, a beautiful mosaic that's been created by God but, but he didn't create us just to be on display in a room. He created us to get out in this world and to meet needs and to heal hurts and to speak truth in Jesus' name where we are every day. That's how you take a passage like this and make it practical in your life. That's how you get used to different. So I want you to think about a couple things. Who are you impacting in your little corner of the world for their good and God's glory? Don't do it right now, but some of you deserve to pat yourself on the back. Because some of the, some of the best stories of discipleship in our church are never being told. And shame on us from that. I'm, I'm thinking of my friend... I've known the whole time I've been here, I deeply love. His name's Bart Azzarelli. And years ago, he started a company called Dallas One. And early in that process, he, be, he decided that God was the owner of that company. And, and so, you know what? In places like this, too often what we've done is we said, we're going to celebrate you if you're sitting in a pew or, or if you're giving in the offering plate or if you're showing up and serving. But the reality is where you really are making a difference is not when you're gathered here, but when you're scattered out there. Who are you impacting? But, but secondly, some of us need to think because there'll be, there'll, there'll be some big things that come out of this. Who's impacted you for your good and for God's glory? See, some of you need to be, as soon as we finish here, you need to be sending a text or you need to sit down and write a thank you note because somebody invested in you. Maybe it's a person that introduced you to Jesus. Maybe it's a person that has just met your needs or healed your hurts or, or told you truth in Jesus' name. And you need to say thank you. 
And then Jesus moves on to another part of the message. And so in a minute, we'll move on. But before we do, there's one more thing. You just probably need to be aware of. You'll, you'll never get used to different if you've never been made different. You see, Jesus was talking to his followers. So that's why I, I just, I've got to be very clear. This in no way is about you and a checklist. Honestly, I could kind of care less about that. And I think in a lot of ways, God could care less about your spiritual checklist. That's what Jesus condemned the Pharisees about a lot of times. What he wants to know is that you're following him. So just in case you you haven't heard that, every one of us were born separated from God. It has nothing to do with your country you were born in. It has nothing to do with your family you were born in. You were born separated from God. And according to Scripture, because of that, all of us are sinners. And according to Scripture, because of that, all of us deserve death. But God doesn't want that. The Bible says that God loves you so much that he sent his son Jesus. And the whole reason that Jesus came is so that you might experience the love of God and forgiveness that's made possible. But there has to be a moment where you trust him. That's where that justification begins. You've got to decide, do I trust Jesus? So I'd be kind of crazy if I didn't give you a chance to do that. Could you bow your heads right now where you are? Just close your eyes. And if you know you're a Christ follower, you've got two assignments. I, I can't imagine hearing that. Even as the words are coming out of my mouth, I'm thinking, God, I've got to be better at meeting needs, healing hurts, and speaking truth. So, man, I think all Christ followers, we've got some work to do. Another thing you can do is you can pray for those who are not yet Christ followers. Because right now, some people are about to make that transition from death to life, from lost to saved forgiven and healed. If you've never begun that relationship with Jesus, would you do me a favor? Would you at least consider that he may be calling you to be his child? God may want to adopt you into his family, and all you've got to do is call on his name. So how do you do that? Well, literally the Bible says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So you can just call on his name. Or you could pray a prayer like this. Just you and him right now. Maybe you would just say, Jesus, I know I need you. I'm poor in spirit. I'm broken. I'm a sinner. Jesus, I believe you died for me. Jesus, you're alive today. So, Jesus, I receive your forgiveness. Take control of my life. I'm yours from this moment on. Tell him thank you. Now, Lord, we believe in faith that there have been many, even in this room, that have begun that relationship with you. Lord, there are many others like myself that Lord we walk with you but we confess we're not the salt the light that we should be Lord as we leave this moment a few minutes from now may we do so committed evermore to living for the glory of your name
May we do so committed to giving glory to God. May we do so desiring to let our light shine before men so that we may glorify the Father who is in heaven. We love you, Jesus. We worship you. And we ask all this in your name. Amen. Would you stand together? Let's cement these truths as we sing these words even now. Glory to God.